Today's episode dives into the heated waters of the anti-vax movement, vaccine hesitancy, and COVID-19 denial. I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Lindsay Leininger again today. She's a public health scientist with expertise in data-driven health policy and ample experience communicating science to the public. Lindsay helps run one of my favorite COVID-19 educational resources called Dear Pandemic, along with a team of fellow nerdy girl scientists. She's also on the faculty at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College, where she teaches current and future healthcare leaders how to make sense of medical data. Today's conversation centers on how to constructively engage with those who have been misinformed about COVID-19 and vaccines. This starts with understanding where their beliefs come from and why they may be resistant to advice from traditional experts. This conversation is the second of a two-part conversation. In part one, we tackle common myths and misconceptions about COVID-19 and share practical advice for separating fact from fiction. Let's dig in. Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science-based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Leininger. I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation and talking about vaccine, hesitancy, anti-vax, and COVID denial. Thank you for your time. Shauna, it's so great to be here. So let's just jump right in. Um, I'm not even sure myself. Is there a difference between anti-vax and vaccine hesitancy? How do you define those two terms and communities? You know, that's a great question, and, and I don't have precise definitions, although one of the nerdy girls, Alison Buttonheim, does. This is literally her expertise, vaccine hesitancy. Mm-hmm. But like most things in life, it's not all or nothing. There's a spectrum. So if we think about vaccine confidence, so kind of the flip, the, the pro mm-hmm. side, we think of people who are, I will never get a vaccine no matter what. And that's about 20% of the U.S. populace right now. Um, we have... Uh, another, let's call it, you know, middle chunk that ranges everywhere from like, oh, if somebody came up and stuck me with the vaccine, I'd be fine with it, but I'm too lazy <laughs> to go get it myself. That's like a surprisingly large chunk, like 30%. Wow. <laughs> Just make it easy and they'll do wow. it. Okay. Then we have another, you know, chunk of people, and I'm not adding up to 100 here, so I'm going to stop. So I don't add up to like 120% accidentally. Then we have another chunk of people who are on the fence. Mm-hmm. They are really the marginal population that when we talk about vaccine acceptance work, we talk about working with these people. We talk about vaccine access work with the 30% who are like, literally someone has to show up and just stick it in my arm, right? <laughs> um, but we have mm-hmm. this 25 to 30% of folks who are truly hesitant, who can be persuaded Mm-hmm. to get vaccinated once they feel comfortable. So mm-hmm. when I think of vaccine acceptance work, that's really that's really our target population. Okay. Frankly, and- we don't we can't mess with the ones who are like never yeah. it's terrible. Yeah. Um it's a low value proposition and in, in the crucible of a pandemic. Yeah. How how do you um feel when you hear someone say getting vaccinated is a choice, you know, we shouldn't be trying to persuade people. Um, it's a personal choice. Therefore, if you're hesitant, that's okay. That's your prerogative. So I'm empathetic to that. 
you know, we were talking before we started recording that I am a native Texan and freedom mm -hmm. and liberty are major core personal values of mine and of the part of the country that I grew up in. But I will tell you, Texans, like a lot of other people who value freedom and liberty, are also deeply, deeply connected and concerned to their families and their communities. So there's there's some work that demonstrates, and you know, this is fits with my own experience as someone on the front lines doing this sorts of communication work, that appealing to people's families, their communities, a loved one in their life who might be immunocompromised and can't get the vaccine but will be protected by your doing so, mm. that actually has a lot of appeal to people, yeah. even those people who hold personal liberty as a very dear core value. Mm -hmm. As a science communicator, I'm, and I'm curious whether you share the same perspective, my goal is to just, is to communicate effectively with those people with different beliefs. And I think that that starts with understanding where they come from. I see a lot of ridicule and anger and shaming. Um, and I, I don't feel like that's a good approach. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree with you, and, and the science of science communication agrees with us too, right? So, so listen before you speak needs to be golden rule number one for all science communicators. Science mm -hmm. communicators, excuse me. Listen before we speak. Mm -hmm. People need to be heard before they will listen. Mm -hmm. Again, I think you and I know this from doing the work, mm -hmm. and the science of science communication backs us up. So this is about listening holding space for their feelings and their fear, finding a point of connection. Like, I really honor that you want what's best for your family and your kids, mm -hmm. right? You center in that shared value. You have an open and honest conversation about the facts. You do a lot of listening. And then you have to know when it's time to let go. Because again, mm -hmm. as you and I both know, this isn't a one and done sort of process. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation. This is hard, slow work. Mm -hmm. And it involves our ears much more than our mouths. Yeah. So how has this played out um, through your work on the Dear Pandemic platform with the other nerdy girls? Have you, have you had a lot of um, vaccine hesitancy? Have you seen people move past it? Um, how, is that, how has that been going? Boy, it's been a journey. I would say so far it's been rewarding. So most of our audience and our community on Dear Pandemic is very pro-science and very pro vaccines. So our sort of support to them, they have a lot of vaccine hesitancy in their own personal circles. So mm -hmm. our job is to equip people with tools to have these conversations with those they know and love. And yes. so tomorrow, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, I am actually writing a short post on how to communicate with a loved one who's vaccine hesitant. So we are trying to tool up an army of science-loving advocates to go mm -hmm. help do this work. Because mm -hmm. I believe the one thing that supersedes hesitancy, anxiety, is personal connection. Mm -hmm. So I have made a lot of space over these past few months to have personal one-on-one -on -one conversations with any person in my personal network who is feeling hesitant. Yeah. Because I know that I have so much more ability to help them feel good about their decision than someone I don't know. Right. So we are trying as science communicators to give all of our community tools to do those one-on-one -on -one conversations with the, own, with the own hesitant ones in their own lives. I like that. So it's viral spread of tools. 
Bingo! We talk about the spread of the virus and the spread of information. And we are trying to spread good information in a crucible of a lot of misinformation and information overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So so can you um, give us a sneak preview of of some advice that you give to those who want to join the army of you know, of helping those who are vaccine hesitant. Yeah, so so I like it. Basically, the, the headline on this is use an empathy sandwich. So you start with empathy, then you ground, you center in this common value. So again, like I so honor the fact that you care about what's best for your kid and you want to do what's right here. You know, I really admire that about you. Then you, then you talk about the science then you end with empathy and connection Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. So that's an empathy sandwich. It's just like telling a truth sandwich when you hear somebody with a conspiracy theory. COVID is worse than the flu. You may keep hearing false toxic misinformation that it's no big deal. It's just like the flu. More than eight times as many people died from COVID in this past year than the worst flu season in a decade. So that's a truth sandwich. And then you give an empathy sandwich when you're talking about vaccine hesitancy. That's great. So what do you find to be some of the most powerful facts to sandwich um, in those two contexts, in the vaccine context and in the COVID context? So that this eight times more deaths is a great is a great one for the it's you know, it's just the flu. Uh, What are some other facts that are particularly powerful and that? I'm, is, I, of course, as a scientist, I can't I want to say like facts that are indisputable and, you know, that but I don't know that other people might view them as indisputable <laughs> if there really is such thing. So I'll give you an example. So I, um, I our, our wonderful cleaning lady here in, um, at our home in New Hampshire, she's someone I've come to value just really deeply personally. We have a great personal connection and she has a lot of vaccine anxiety. So we sit down and we talk about it and we're gonna have another conversation tomorrow. We've been having conversations pretty regularly just to, you know, because we care about each other and I want to make her feel good about whatever decision she makes. And she got really worried about the J&J vaccine blood clot numbers. And so I just told her straight up, look, this is the number of events that happen. This is the number of people who've gotten this shot. And this alludes back to part one for anyone Mm -hmm. who might have been listening to our earlier conversation, but for those who are new to our chat and just listening to this part, I simply told her there have been eight of these events and 7 million shots have been given. And then we closed out and I said, I really have a lot of respect for the fact that you're making a careful decision, even though you're surfing a lot of anxiety right now. I really honor that. And she thought about it. She texted me back in a little bit and she said, I feel so much better with you just telling me those simple numbers. Are you able to break down into different sort of hesitancy causes? I mean, one is I'm worried about an adverse event. Um, Are there other major sort of subcategories to address? I think the the one that we're really battling the most uphill work with right now, both on our platform and also just in my one-on-one conversations are concerns about specific conditions and fertility is really the big one. So there is no data to suggest that vaccination affects fertility, but yet, but yet, Bad acting anti-vax folks and forces have gone there and have poisoned that well. So I think concerns about fertility are are something that we deal with a lot. Mm -hmm. I do think this personal liberty, freedom, like 
I compensate in other ways, but this is not something I want to do. I think that's another flavor of hesitancy. Here in the United States, it has very um, patterned bipartisan affiliation. I wish this yeah. weren't the case, but it is. And right now, about 50% of Republicans are saying they will not get the vaccine. That's a problem for us. Um, and that's not a science worry. That's not a that's not a fertility worry. That is literally, I think, a I need a relatable, trusted messenger mm -hmm. to tell me this is okay, right? Yeah. And it's not going to be the Biden administration here in the U.S. It's probably not going to be me, mm -hmm. right? An ivory tower scientist. It's probably going to be a church leader. It's probably mm -hmm. going to be a school nurse. Mm -hmm. Once they hear that information for someone they relate to and who knows has their back on a personal nature, I think I have a lot of hope that minds will change. I really do. But it yeah, takes personal connection. I was going to say that seems to be kind of the catch 22 is that some of the hesitancy comes from not trusting the establishment. You know, we don't trust the CDC. We don't trust ivory tower scientists. So then if the typical experts if you're not willing to listen to them, then how is that message going to be? How, where, where can that message come from then? That's right. And I think a personal, I think, a, you know, I, I was joking with my husband yesterday and you might appreciate this. So he's like, if you had all the money in the world and the administration called you up and said, what do we need to do for vaccine hesitancy? Mm -hmm. What would you do? And I would yeah. say, I would stand up a phone a friendly scientist program where every vaccine hesitant person gets you know, access to a scientist and they become friends and friendly and relatable. And obviously you need to like mm -hmm. support the scientists labor on this, you know, pay them. But it is very, there is nothing more powerful yeah. than having someone in your network who is a scientist or a nurse yes. or a doctor. So I'll go back to my cleaning lady who I just love and respect. She's like, oh my gosh, I know you and I trust you. And like, you yeah. happen to be a scientist, but the reason why we're in this conversation is because of the relatability. Mm -hmm. I mean, is it a reasonable strategy if, if you don't view yourself as someone that feels comfortable being the authority to your friends? Um, is it a reasonable strategy to say, well, who would you trust? Here's a few of the people that I trust that are the reasons that I believe this. I mean, a hundred percent. So we, we also coach people to find the right influencer. Mm. So I'm not the right influencer for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. But if it's their pastor, if it is, again, their school nurse, if it is their clinician, is if it is their friendly next door neighbor who, mm -hmm. you know, is a science teacher, yeah, I think find the right influencer. If it's LeBron James or if it is uh, mm -hmm. Dolly Parton has been an amazing influencer for vaccine, mm -hmm. right? Like just find the influencer that that person relates to. And that can right. be like capital I influencer, like Dolly Parton or LeBron James, or it can be lowercase I influencer, like their neighbor or their school okay. librarian. Mm -hmm. And we can all be that. I mean, that's what's hopeful about this work yeah. is that each and every one of us can can do this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, it, I don't know how, how relevant do you think, coming back to our part one conversation, some of this biological, um, literacy is because when I think about vaccine hesitancy especially like the mRNA vaccines people are well, I don't know what it is I'm scared of it and I say okay let's say what would need to happen for that RNA vaccine to be integrated in your genome and to sort of affect your offspring here's what would need to happen step 
Step A would need to enter your nucleus. Step B would need to be reverse transcribed into DNA. And step C would need to be integrated. We don't have the enzymes to do that. It's just not physically possible. So, I mean, not everyone has the like central dogma of biology sort of at their fingertips. But do you think that that kind of messaging is even relevant or more like to whom is it relevant or that sort of let's talk through the biology approach? Oh, it's so relevant. Yeah. And some people, some people really just want to hear the biology of it. Mm -hmm. Some people want to hear the biology punched up in kind of a, a funny way. So mm -hmm. Malia Jones, who's our editor in chief, and she's a specialist in herd um, immunity. She talks about this. Well, yeah, the mRNA vaccine, we can't prove to you that it won't make you grow a six toe. But, you know, biologically, there's just no way, right? So sometimes they like, you know, <laughs> they mm. like it characterized like that. Um, but I am a big believer in empowering people with information that's credible and relatable. So maybe terms like reverse transcription and enzymes aren't relatable, but there's a way to communicate that that is relatable yeah. to everybody. And I, yeah. I honest to goodness believe that access to credible, relatable health and science information is a social determinant of health. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a right. I do. Mm -hmm. well, that's very motivating. I'm going to keep at it. I, have to, I guess I need some analogies. I mean, it, I think it just comes down to understanding that RNA and DNA are not the same thing, first of all. like They're not they the have, same thing! <laughs> and Yeah, and you yeah. can't just magically turn one into the other. There are some, you know, it doesn't, things don't just spontaneously turn from one into the other either. Um, so that's right. Yeah. And I think like you're telling me what you just said is perfect. That's what I need as someone who is a data literate scientist educator, but not a biologist. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, you know, the six toe thing is funny to me, but hearing you actually talk about why the biology doesn't work, that lands with me. Mm -hmm. A lot of our audience on Dear Pandemic wants to hear about the six toe, right? Like, oh yeah, that just doesn't make sense. Like there's just mm -hmm. no universe. So it's all about how you describe it to a different audience. Mm -hmm. And I think it, there are a lot of audiences. Like I am a scientist who needs to be educated on basic biology, right? Like you are a scientist who probably doesn't know a lot about how data-driven health policy is made. Yeah. So we need to educate each other mm -hmm. with a language. And then we need to educate you know, our, our audiences and our communities with a different language often. Yeah. I want to uh, talk briefly about the COVID deny, denial. Do you, uh, do you have your pulse on that? Do you feel like it's still, a, I mean, is it a real problem still? I mean, I, I don't see, it's, I think it's probably very regional and I don't see a lot of it around here. So is it, is it still a, a big problem and is it something that the action can and should be taken? So from my seat in our community, it's not a big problem. Now, I know there are other corners of the digital universe where it is a problem. And then empirically, how big is it a problem generally? I don't know. But I do, I am seeing this COVID sort of conspiracy denialism morph into this just staunch anti-vaxism. Mm. So it almost seems like people can hold these very conflicting conspiracies in their head. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting how I see it morphing over time. Yeah. And what I do see now is we just have to learn to live with this and we're done. 
So this, this is definitely kind of a mountain that I feel like I'm still climbing as a science yes. communicator and educator. I don't deal a lot with the COVID deniers. Again, that's not sort of our, our community's mm -hmm. issue. Um, mm -hmm. But I do help people talk to their uncles who are still COVID deniers. Okay. Okay. And when you're doing that, um, is it I, is it still the same the same sandwich of empathy? Same facts, sandwich. Empathy. Yeah. So it's empathy, you know, lead with love, stick in mm -hmm. a fact. Find the credible influencer. That was, mm -hmm. you know, what you mentioned. That's a really important step. Um, often exiters, what we call exiters, people who once believed in the conspiracy or were a cult member, for example, mm. but have exited. That's a very credible me um, messenger often yes. for folks who have fallen prey to a conspiracy theory. But you yeah. also have to know that this work is not successful often. So you have to know when to walk away. Mm -hmm. So again, end with empathy and walk away, um, protect yourself too. <laughs> okay. Any other um, last words of advice for those who want to join the army of, you know, being on the constructive side of communicating and you know, on the side of public health uh, throughout this pandemic? I love this question. You know, thank you for the opportunity to answer this in particular, because I think anyone can do this work. I mean, this is my mantra. We all are part of this. We can all stand up for science because I tell you, scientific scholarship doesn't stand up and speak for itself. So anyone who is science loving, your voice matters and your place in space. And so use it, right? And I don't care if you have two followers on social media and two friends, mm -hmm. that is how we get it started and yeah. you matter and your voice matters. And we we all can be part of the solution. I, I, I believe that my heart of hearts and the evidence backs us up too. Yeah. You can be an advocate for science in your own place and space and be effective at doing so. I love that. Yeah, it doesn't, it's it's true. I mean, it's it's all um, exponential growth, right? If you, even if you have two. And, and I was two, just gonna then... use the same analogy, Chana. Like it, <laughs> Like I tell you and you tell 1.3 people and they tell yes. 1.3 people and, and all of a sudden we have an epidemic of good information on our hands. I love and it. I tell you what, Chana, you're in my, like, those who are working against us and are spreading bad information and are bad actors, they know the power of just picking off one or two people with their message, right? Yeah. Like they're no dummies. They're wise to yeah. the exponential spread of bad information on the internet. So let's... Yeah. Let's be the counterbalance. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, any resources you'd like to leave people with um, on specifically on the vaccine front for people to have questions about um, getting the facts straight on vaccine performance, safety, efficacy, those sorts of things. So I really liked all of the vaccine resources from major medical centers. So Mass General, mm -hmm. Mayo Clinic, they, they, a lot of them have really good comprehensive Q and A's. I also, depending, Again, I don't want to be too uh, too U.S. centric here. I apologize, but um, you know, there's a lot of good work out of agencies. So mm -hmm. CDC, their vac their vaccine FAQ. Frankly, I think that the Canadian public health agencies have much better, more comprehensive information. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I've always well, looked to public health, health Canada. Canada. Has some great, yeah, Health Canada has some great pages on this. Mm -hmm. They have terrific, and they had great pages yeah. on how the virus spreads back in the beginning. I feel like I was yeah. pushing out Health Canada's work even for a U.S. audience. Yeah, so. yeah. No, they even have some dynamic graphs of, you know, COVID rates and vaccinations and stuff. So that's, it's worth checking out. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I've loved all of Health Canada's uh, science comm really since the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I wish we had more time. Oh, we'll thank have to continue, you, <laughs> continue talking yeah. offline one of these days. Yes, to be continued. Okay, take care.